0: Chapter fourteen. Of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter fourteen. Mary Brotherton continues sick in heart and mind, but is roused and cheered by her own steadfast will. An o'er true tale. It was not till the second dinner bell had rung that Mrs. Tremlett ventured to seek Mary in her chamber. The worthy woman was perfectly aware that the naturally strong feelings of her young mistress had been violently affected by the scene they had witnessed and though far perhaps from comprehending the effect it had produced on her mind she was conscious that she should do no good by obtruding herself uncalled for upon her retirement but when the signal that always brought them together had passed unheeded she became uneasy and availing herself of the privilege that long and well-requited affection gave she knocked at her door and called upon her name Miss Brotherton answered the summons immediately, but her withdrawing the bolt of her door, as well as the unchanged appearance of her dress, showed that she had not been occupied in preparing for dinner. "'You are not aware how late it is, my dear child. The second dinner-bell has rung,' said Mrs. Tremlett, looking anxiously in her pale face. "'Has it?' replied the young lady. "'Indeed, I beg your pardon. But I will not keep you waiting. I will not dress to-day, if you will excuse it no no my dear that won't do never mind about the dinner i will tell them to take it out again indeed i do not wish to dress said mary languidly morgan will tease me by asking what dress i choose to wear and fifty questions besides let me go down as i am nurse tremlett you shan't have morgan at all dear the dressing will refresh you my darling child and it won't be the first time mary that i have done all you wanted in that way There just sit down on the sofa for one minute and i will speak about the dinner and be back again it was very passively that mary did as she was bid and without another word of remonstrance sat down and awaited the return of her old friend she was indeed completely exhausted the scene she had witnessed had not touched only it had wrung her heart and the hours she had passed since were not such as to bring her spirits back to their ordinary tone it was not alone the melancholy spectacle of a fellow-creature passing from life to death which had thus strongly affected her it was the frightful degradation of the group of human beings who had gazed upon it with her it was the horrible recollection of the dying woman's statement respecting the lacerated flesh of her child and it was the filth the misery the famine and the vice that she had been warned of and had seen which had set her powerful healthy unprejudiced and unselfish mind to meditate upon the state of things which had produced it it was hardly possible for any one to be more profoundly ignorant upon the subject which had thus seized upon her heart than was mary brotherton on the question of negro slavery she had from her very earliest infancy heard a great deal for her father was an anti black slavery man who subscribed to the african society and the missionary fund drank mr wilberforce's health after dinner whenever he had company at his table and while his own mills daily sent millions of groans to be registered in heaven from joyless young hearts and aching infant limbs he rarely failed to despatch with nearly equal regularity all booked for the same region a plentiful portion of benevolent lamentations over the sable sons of africa all uttered comfortably from a soft armchair, while digestion was gently going on and his well-fed person in a state of the most perfect enjoyment on the slavery question therefore mary really knew a great deal and felt concerning it as every true christian must feel but as to everything concerning the nature of the labour performed in the factories by whose chimneys her pleasant park was surrounded the age sex or condition of the labourers the proportion of their daily existence devoted to toil the degree of care bestowed on their immortal souls or the quantum of enjoyment permitted to them by their earthly masters while awaiting a summons to the presence of their heavenly one of all of this mary brotherton was as ignorant as the sleek lap-dog that dozed upon her hearth-rug but this carefully adjusted cloud was now passing away from her intellect for ever if where ignorance is bliss it is folly to be wise that folly had seized upon her for no longer was she destined to taste the doubtful joy of luxury that had never looked upon the seamy side of existence or dreamed that the means that supplied its exquisite yet almost unnoted refinements were earned by the agony of labouring infants but though this worse than fools paradise was thus closed upon her for ever she felt a power and energy of purpose awaked within her heart that she thanked god upon her bended knees for giving though she trembled as she received it and never did sainted nun breathe purer or more earnest vows of self-devotion to heaven than did this ardent spirited girl to the examination and if possible to the relief of the misery she had at length learned to know existed round her but like most other persons when occupied by a really profound emotion mary felt no inclination to talk about it she had not indeed the slightest intention to conceal anything she did from mrs tremlett but on the contrary hoped eventually to gain much assistance from her strong practical good sense but she could not discuss she could not reason she could not prate about it now and she went through the business of the dinner-table so tranquilly that her watchful companion felt rejoiced though a little surprised at her recovered composure soon after they retired from table mary proposed a walk in the grounds and as they wandered together through the richly scented flower-garden and then seated themselves where the cool breeze of evening brought the tempered fragrance to their senses more delightfully still The feverish feeling of tightness across her forehead seemed to relax, and as if to apologize for the silent fit that had seized her, Mary looked kindly into the face of her old friend, and then bent forward and kissed her. Bless you, my dear love! You feel better now, don't you? said the affectionate old woman. Yes, dear nurse, much better. The air is delicious to-night. It was too much for you, my dear child, that dreadful scene this morning. My dear Miss Brotherton, you must be reasonable. Indeed you must, or instead of making me the very happiest being in the world as you do now, my life will become one of continual terror and alarm. You can do no good, my dear, in putting yourself in such places as you were in to-day. Mary reflected for a moment before she answered her, and then said, Are you quite sure, Nurse Tremlett, that a young woman without any natural ties whatever and with a fortune so large as mine can do no good by making themselves acquainted with the condition of their poor neighbours oh no miss mary dear i never said that you do a great deal of good by putting the gardeners and under gardeners children to school and by all the help you give them and everybody else that works about the place and i dearly love to see you do it and i have no doubt in the world that it keeps many from sending their children to the mills and it will bring a blessing upon your head my dear "'But that's nothing to do with poking yourself into such a place as you got into to-day. "'You never heard anything so dreadful as what Sir Matthew Dowling was telling me about them "'before you came out the first time.' "'Mary shuddered as she heard his name. "'You will promise me, my dear, won't you, never to go to such a horrid place again,' "'resumed the old woman. "'We will not talk about that now, my dear Mrs. Tremlett. "'I want you to tell me what you think I could do that would be most useful for those poor young girls.' i know what it is to lose a mother dear nurse and it makes me feel for them god bless your kind heart my dear that is just like you and i wish with all my heart and soul that you lived somewhere among the farming people for there you would have some reward for your charity but god help me if one half of what sir matthew told me is true these horrid girls are worse than it is decent to tell you and the father's is bad but don't you think my good friend considering that i am more than come to years of discretion and that you are a good deal older still don't you think it might be as well for us in a case of such importance as this to see and judge for ourselves instead of taking sir matthew dowling's word for it said the heiress while a slight frown contracted her brow why yes miss mary only it is so difficult to come at the truth replied mrs tremlett surely there is one truth that it is easy enough to come at i suppose you have no doubt upon your mind that these people are in dreadful distress wicked people almost always are miss mary then it is my duty mrs tremlett replied mary almost sternly to endeavour at least in the case of such very young people to amend or prevent their wickedness it would be a frightful sin worse in me burdened as i feel myself with riches earned by the labour of such miserable little creatures as those whom we saw to-day if I should look upon such utter destitution, let it be mixed up with what frailty it may and pass along on the other side. I will not do it, Mrs. Tremlett, so never ask it more. At present all I know is, that I have seen misery. Its cause I have yet to learn. This may be the work of time, and I do not mean to wait till I have acquired such knowledge before I relieve the want and woe I have witnessed. I left word that the eldest girl was to come up to me, She will hardly delay doing so, poor creature. Therefore I must again postpone my intended visit to Hoxley Lane, for I will not go out tomorrow till I have seen her. All this was very contrary to Mrs. Tremlett's judgment, for she had a very natural dread lest the warm heart of her young charge should be imposed upon by the designing and depraved. Nevertheless there was a feeling of respect that came upon her involuntarily and as it were unawares as she listened to the firmly spoken purpose of the young girl whom as yet she could hardly persuade herself was more than a child in pursuance of the resolution thus declared miss brotherton did not stir from home during the whole of the following day lady clarissa shrimpton mrs gabberly and one or two more distant neighbours called but she was denied to them all from the fear that her anticipated interview with Sophie drake might be interrupted but the precaution was unnecessary the long morning wore away without the girl's making her appearance and it was not till past eight o'clock in the evening that a servant entered the drawing-room and informed miss brotherton that a very dirty girl and two little children were at the gate who said she had given them orders to call it is very true replied the young lady these are the people i told you to let in the man retired in silence but paid himself for his forbearance by the vehemence of his wondering commentary in the servants hall mary brotherton was sitting at an open window with the last light of evening falling upon her and the volume she held in her hand she had been making what proved but an idle effort to read even when that light was stronger but now the volume hung listlessly from her hand while her eyes fixed on the brightly tinted vapours in the west seemed to look atworth them and like the worthy gentleman on the platform before tilbury fort to gaze on many things that were not yet in sight mrs tremlett with a happy indifference to the increasing twilight peculiar to the sisterhood of knitters continued at another window to manoeuvre her bright weapons and varied the successive fronts of her phalanx with no louder note of command than was occasionally produced by the gentle clicking of her needles against each other it was nearly an hour since a word had been exchanged between them but now as the footman left the room mary turned towards her and said this is poor Sophie, mrs tremlett come and sit near me will you I want you to hear all she says. Her old friend moved her place accordingly, and had just seated herself by the side of Miss Brotherton when the door again opened, and Sophie Drake, leading a little sister in each hand, entered the drawing room. It required no force of contrast to render the miserable, squalid, unhealthy appearance of these poor girls most painfully striking. If it had, the elegant apartment into which they now entered would have furnished it. Mary's heart smote her as she gazed upon them so young so pretty too thought she and yet so painful to look upon the eldest of the three looked languid weary spirit broken and inanimate hardly throwing a glance at the novel objects around her and looking more fit to lie down and rest the aching limbs she slowly dragged along than to indulge any feeling of curiosity the little ones had the same unsteady tired gait but they looked up with an expression of wonder and almost of awe on every object as they passed along how are you all my poor girls said mary kindly as they drew near to her the eldest girl dropped a curtsey but made no audible reply it is so sad and hopeless a grief to lose a mother continued miss brotherton that i can say not one word to check your grief but if there is anything that i can do to make you more comfortable i shall be glad to do it you seem all of you greatly in want of clothes how comes that when so many of the family work and get wages "'The wages isn't enough to buy us bread, ma'am,' replied the eldest girl, "'and help pay lodging rent.' This statement seemed so very incredible that Mary felt a painful conviction that the young creature before her was not speaking truth. She remained silent for a minute or two and then said, "'I suppose when you say bread you mean food of all kinds? And tea and sugar and butter and so on?' said Mary. "'I have not had the taste of meat in my mouth for above these two years.' Replied Sophie, colouring, and in a voice that seemed to indicate something like indignation. And as to sugar in our tea, or butter on our bread, no factory child is brought up to it. Mary coloured too. She longed to get accurate information respecting their manner of living, and the reasons why incessant labour failed to supply the necessaries of life, but she knew not well how to set about it. Do not be angry with me, Sophie, said she if I ask questions that seem unfeeling and very ignorant. I really know little or nothing about the manner in which poor people live, and I want to know. Not merely from curiosity, but because I should like to help them if I could. "'And God knows we want help bad enough, ma'am,' replied the girl, while tears started in her eyes. "'Father has got the money you gave yesterday, and we shall never hear any more of that. Is he a bad father to you, then?' "'Not bad to beat us.' but he drinks terrible then i suppose his wages go partly in that his wages and arn too ma'am he bain't always able to get work the old hands are often out and then in course he takes ourn. then if he was a temperate steady man he would do a great deal better in course we should ma'am but mother said he took to it as most of the others do in all the mills on account of hating to come home so when we young ones comes in from work i have heard mother say that father cried when i that was the biggest come at home first beaten and bruised with the strap and the billy-roller what is the billy-roller Sophie? inquired miss brotherton in an accent denoting considerable curiosity it's a long stout stick ma'am that's used often and often to beat the little ones employed in the mills when their strength fails when they fall asleep or stand still for a minute you mean that the children work till they are so tired as to fall asleep standing yes ma'am dozens and dozens of em every day in the year except sundays is strapped and kicked and banged by the billy roller because they falls asleep but surely parents are greatly to blame to let children young enough for that to go to work at all they must just starve ma'am if they didn't replied the girl how many years have you worked in the factory yourself Sophie? just twelve ma'am this last spring and how old are you seventeen ma'am twelve from seventeen you mean to say that you began to work at the factory when you were five years old said mary with some appearance of incredulity i was five years and three months ma'am answered the girl firmly miss brotherton looked at mrs tremlett but perceived no appearance of incredulity on her countenance is this possible mrs tremlett said she yes my dear i believe that it is very common replied the old woman i have often heard it spoken of among the servants have you ever been at school sophie yes ma'am a forefather changed his mill and took work under sir matthew we all father mother grace dick and all worked for the great quaker gentleman joseph tell and he had a school in the factory for sundays and you learnt to read there of course no ma'am i didn't "'replied the girl, shaking her head. "'Whose fault was that, my dear? "'Surely if you were put to school "'you ought to have learnt to read.' "'I couldn't, ma'am, I couldn't. "'And it was not my fault, neither,' "'replied the girl with considerable agitation. "'We was often and often kept going "'till twelve o'clock on a Saturday night, "'and when the Sunday comed "'we couldn't sit down upon the bench, "'neither Grace nor Dick nor I, "'without falling dead asleep. "'Twas the only right good sleep we had,' that before sundays i mean cause father was always obligated to wake us every other morning about five o'clock summer and winter and earlier than that too when we worked night work so keeping our eyes open sundays wasn't possible cause they didn't strap us then there is not one of you can read no ma'am not one can your father read yes ma'am he can that is he could he says when he was younger but he's almost forgot now he says in his young days the machinery improvements was nothing like what they'd be now and that the peaser children hadn't not half so far or so fast to walk as they have now and he learned to read of his own mother when he comed home at nights and why doesn't he do the same for his children as his mother did for him said miss brotherton because we couldn't keep our eyes open for two minutes together when we comes home at night i have seen poor mother as is dead and gone lay little becky here down upon the bundle of straw that she and i sleeps upon cause she couldn't keep up to eat her supper when she comed from the mill and i have seen her put the soft bread in her mouth when she was so dead asleep that she couldn't get her to swallow it and how could she or the rest of us learn to read ma'am mary made no reply but sat for a moment or two with her eyes fixed on the ground in very painful uncertainty as to what she could say or do that could be of effectual service to the miserable group before her she felt that though poor Sophie might perhaps be telling nothing but the truth in this dismal description of her wretched family it was not from her that any general information could be obtained it was as she thought utterly impossible that it could apply to the hundreds of thousands whom she had heard it stated as a matter of national pride by some of her rich neighbours were employed in the factories of england and scotland a moment's thought sufficed to convince her as it has done multitudes of amiable-minded ladies and gentlemen besides that it was perfectly impossible such horrors could exist on the glorious soil of britain unless indeed as in the case before her the unhappy drunkenness of the father plunged his helpless family into a degree of poverty which nothing perhaps but the unnatural degree of labour described by this poor motherless girl could avert i must clothe them all thought she and put the little ones to school perhaps too i may find a place in my own kitchen for poor Sophie but as to learning from her anything that can be depended upon respecting the system by which the factory labour is regulated that is quite hopeless she felt however that the weary-looking group ought not to return empty-handed after their walk with no reward for it but her promises and turning to mrs tremlett asked her in a half whisper what she could give them that might be made immediately useful in the way of clothing their garments being in a condition that it was painful to her to behold you might give them that piece of dark cotton, my dear, that you bought the other day for the coachman's children. There is no great hurry, you know, about them, for they are not to go to school till next month. Very true. It is just the thing, replied Mary, and having rung the bell and ordered her maid to appear, she gave orders to have it brought to her. I do not exactly know how much there is of it, Sophie, said she, putting it into her hand, but enough, I think, for one or two of you, and i will get more of the same sort when next i go to ashley Sophie took it with a curtsey, but having held it for a moment said please ma'am this won't be no use to me unless i may pawn part to get the rest made can you not make a gown for yourself and your sisters my good girl demanded mary please ma'am i never was learnt to sew replied the girl blushing more convinced than ever that her first effort to assist the poor operatives had led her by an unlucky chance into a family whose unthrifty habits made it almost hopeless to attempt doing them any essential service mary drew forth her purse and giving half a crown to each of them took the useless material back saying i will send you some more decent clothes to wear Sophie, and then we must think what further can be done for you and these poor little ones but indeed my dear girl i greatly fear that unless your habits are improved and that you can be taught to use your needle like all other decent young women in making and mending what is given you it will be impossible for me or for any one to do you much good poor sophy drake looked both sorry and ashamed as she listened to this reproof but she attempted not to answer it and again curtseying as she received the money she turned away without again speaking and left the room this is very very dreadful nurse tremlett said mary as soon as they were alone i could not have believed that it was possible in such a country as england to find human beings in a state of such degraded ignorance as that poor girl did you ever meet with anything like it before i can't say miss mary that i ever before came within reach of hearing a factory girl speak so much as i have heard to-day but i can't pretend to say that i am a bit surprised i told you my dear from the beginning that you would only get yourself into trouble and do no good from the very first of my coming to this country which was but a month before i came to live with your mamma i always heard the same history of the factory folks and you know my dear what everybody says must be true mary as she listened to this looked harassed puzzled and wretched but is it not something unheard of in the history of the world said she that thousands and hundreds of thousands of persons should exist all labouring young and old with unceasing industry to support themselves and that this their painful labour should subject them to such habits of inevitable ignorance and degradation that all decent and respectable persons must be taught to shun them? It does seem very hard upon them, my dear, to be sure, replied her companion, but as to why it is so, I am sure it is impossible for us to guess. It must be partly their own faults, of course. But at any rate, my dear, I wish you would not go on working yourself up so, I can't bear to see you, Miss Mary, looking vexed and miserable for what you can't help the least bit in the world. And besides, my dear, I must say, that it is no wise right for a young lady like you to run the risk of getting near very bad people indeed, whose ways I don't like to talk to you about. I know you can't abide Sir Matthew Dowling, and I can't say I ever saw or heard of much to like in him. But for all that, there is not any good that I can see in disbelieving what he told us about these very people he must know more about them than we can and it was quite shocking i do assure you miss mary the things he told me a great deal too bad to repeat i promise you mary burst into tears i am very unhappy mrs tremlett said she and it is not putting faith in sir matthew dowling that can make me less so that i may be led to do so many things from my great ignorance which were i better informed i should not do is very likely and it is therefore my duty to obtain information upon this tremendous subject as speedily as possible would to god my good friend that you could give it me but as you cannot we will cease to speculate together upon what we neither of us understand i am sorry that our awful adventure yesterday prevented my purpose visit to the poor woman in hoxley lane we both agreed you know that i could get no harm there and I have an object in view in making that visit that I am sorry to have delayed. We will go there tomorrow, Nurse Tremlett, and so early in the morning as to run no risk of meeting any of the fine folks who love to show themselves on the Ashley Road. Mary Brotherton did go early the following morning to Hawksley Lane. But her visit was too late, by exactly twenty four hours End of Chapter fourteen